Hello again, poker players. Let's level up your game. My name is Mike Brady, and as usual, I'm joined by Scottish poker pro, Gary Blackwood. What's up, guys and girls? Welcome back to the podcast. It has been a minute since we have recorded a session. We have been at the World Series of Poker, grinding away all summer. I am just back. And on that note, we're going to keep it in line with the World Series of Poker. Mike and I are going to discuss some hands from our respective main events. Yeah, that's right. We're kicking off Season 3 with something a little different. Gary and I both played the main event a few weeks ago. And in this episode, we'll be sharing and discussing the most interesting hands we've played. A lot of our past episodes, if you've listened to them, kind of have a clear structure. This one's going to be a little bit more of shooting the... That's uh, early in the video, so I shouldn't curse, but <laughs> you guys get the idea. So let's jump right into it. It was a fairly quick main event for me this year, but I did manage to play one noteworthy hand on day one. Gary had a much longer run, so we'll have more of his hands to discuss, but let's get right into mine. So... My opponent in this hand is a former cop from the Bronx. He has been insanely irritated all day. He's been getting like phone calls from a family member or something, and he was really curt and like rude to them about them calling him during the tournament. Kind of a little side note, but I just found it very bizarre. He was also really upset about how card dead he was. There was even one instance where he folded 7-2 off under the gun face up in disgust as if to just be like look at how bad i'm running guys it's like he never played poker before so anyway we're in level three or four big blind i think is 500 i raise off of a 35k stack so about 70 big blinds with ace queen offsuit he calls on the button and the blinds come along as well he started the hand with about 60 big blinds 30 30 000 chips i have ace queen once again the flop comes ace jack eight rainbow blinds check I decide to check my hand, could go either way there, and then the button puts in a small bet. That Bronx cop goes about 2,000 into about a 6,500 chip pot. Folds to me, I just call. Pretty clear play on the flop, right, Gary? Yeah, I really don't mind it. I don't mind a raise there, given the fact that he is you know, pretty card dead. He might be the kind of guy that's going to you know, get bored and peel ace-seven offsuit. So he might have him fairly dominated. But at the same time, if he's peeling hands like ace-seven offsuit, he's going to be in there with a six-five suited, all those types of hands. Our hand is not as incredibly strong as it might initially seem, especially out of position, lots of straight completing turn cards. Uh, and we want to keep our opponent's range nice and wide. So yeah, I really don't mind the call here. Yeah, I think it's okay. I didn't even really consider a raise too much in the moment. I just kind of figured, you know, he's, while he is betting small, and I kind of have him ranged on specifically like a weak ace or maybe a jack on the ace-jack eight board, he was still betting into three players, so I'm not going to go too crazy check-raising against him. I also have kind of a read that he's going to make some tight folds, potentially, which will come up in a, in a moment. So, okay. speaking of straight completing turns, as you mentioned, the turn is a nine. I check, he checks back pretty quickly, and this is the type of guy that I'm going to actually take timing tells into account. The fact that he checked back quickly there really locks in the read for me, that he has a hand like king-jack, queen-jack, maybe a weak ace, something that, you know, bet the flop small because it has a pair, kind of trying to get some value and protection, and now he's checking back, trying to steer it to showdown. So, river is a king, so the final board is ace-jack-eight, nine-king. Pot is about... 8,500, 9,000 chips, something like that. So I decide to go for a block bet to kind of target those like weak ASX type hands, maybe like a jack or whatever. I go about 2,000. I don't remember the exact size. And he does something that it's really hard to describe. I'm going to show it on video. If you're listening, you're not going to totally get the effect here. But if you're watching on YouTube, you will. I'll try to describe it as best I can. So he's staring me down, really staring me down after I block bet the river. He has six chips in his hand. It's six 1,000 uh, chip chips, six yellows. He's staring me down, 
And while he's staring me down playing with these six chips, he kind of pushes them forward about one and a half inches and then separates them into two stacks of three and then continues to stare me down. It wasn't clear that that was even a raise to me because it was so inched forward. But because of his reaction, he's staring me down. He's now waiting for me. He clearly meant to raise, so I wasn't going to ask the dealer like that's a raise or whatever. So he does raise to 6,000, a very small raise, probably equates to like 40% pot. Now, my read is pretty locked in at this point. I think he's got a two pair of some kind, most likely something like King Jack, River two pair. So I think there's only one move that I can really make, right, Gary? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? What, what do you think I'm going to do? Okay, first of all, I want to say I one of my favorite things all summer was picking up tells from non-pros, shall we say, and uh, my experience is that when amateur players are staring at you, that's generally quite weak. It's not nutted. I'm not saying it's complete air, but it's never absolutely nutted. That's a general rule that you can kind of live by, is that when an amateur player is just staring at you very intently, it's it's not, you know, super nutted. I agree with you. I think if he's going to be raising here, he is going to have a, you know, particularly the small raise. He sees your small bet. If he does have a hand like King Jack, which is two pair, then, you know, he's going to feel compelled to raise his two pair versus the small bets. But our hand is a really nice candidate because we're not blocking any of the hands that we're trying to make fold. The most important question I can ask you, Mike, is he, is he ever the kind of guy that's going to flat ace king preflop here? Or do you think he's very likely to raise that? Because if he does flat ace king, then obviously he can have ace king here. And he's much less likely to fold that compared to a hand like King Jack. Yeah, it's hard to say. Sample was just really too small. We've played together for six hours. I don't know if I even had seen him put in a three bet. That said, he had kind of referenced that he's won a tournament for six figures before, like a 1K buy-in tournament. So, you know, he's been around. While he is like a recreational player, he's been around. I think he's probably going to find the three bet with Ace King. And, you know, even if he doesn't, I have an ace in my hand. There's an ace and a king on the board. He called on the button. So I think ace-king is actually going to be a relatively small part of his range, even if he does flat it preflop. So yeah, we've been alluding to it. The clear play there, I jam all in for about 5x his raise. So I think he has to call like, well, he has to call all in and it's roughly 25k more. He pretty quickly folds, asks me, what do you think I had that hand? And I said, (laughs) I looked him straight in the eye and said, King Jack. And he said something like that. Then for the rest of the day... (laughs) (laughs) he was talking about how good his reads have been all day and he just can't (laughs) believe he's losing in this game despite his incredible reads and you know what hand he kept citing as one of those hands where he made an incredible read (laughs) his fold with two pair against me because i just had to have him beat there right but i did not got the bluff through with the ace queen queen blocker really really nice one but despite that successful bluff i was not able to find the day two bag but Gary's run was much more eventful, so let's go ahead and get into your hands. Yeah, just one last thing on your hand. A lot of people might think you've got top pair. It's way too strong to to bluff there to, to three-bet shove. But if we really think about it, I don't think you would block a hand like king-queen on the river. I don't think you would block a hand like ace-four on the river, for example. So we're kind of really limited to our bet three-bet hands. And I think ace-queen is one of the best ones. We don't block any of the two pairs we're trying to make fold. We have a nice queen-ten blocker. There are very, very few other hands that we block on the river that unblock the folding range that we're targeting from our opponents. So I think it's a really solid bluff, Mike. I'm, I'm very, very impressed with your combination choosing skills there. Onto the, some of the hands that I played, I uh, busted early in day four. Lots of fun hands here. Let's just have a quick look and see what we've got. So the very first level of the tournament, 
I open under the gun plus one with ace five of spades to 500 chips. Just very quickly want to remind everyone that the main event is an incredible tournament. Two hour levels, you know, you don't need to do anything crazy. Normally, if you've got 20 bigs in a tournament, you know, you're going to have to get it in at some point soon, but 20 bigs in a main event is absolute chunks. You can go for days and days with that. So I open under gun plus one to 500 with ace five of spades. The hijack calls unknown player. The cutoff, a UK guy, seems a bit of a hippie, but in a nice way. Got lots of good luck charms on, lots of bracelets, drinking his smoothie in his late 40s, early 50s. Very nice guy. He puts in the squeeze to 2,500. Now we're 300 big blinds deep here, Mike. Are you four betting? Are you calling? Are you folding? What should play? I think I'm just calling. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if four bet gets in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you said, hate to make this like a reason for a play, but is the main event? Do we want to play a four bet pot at a position against a guy who just squeezed, who you probably don't know too much about? This could be yeah. a very strong squeeze for all you know. Like we've all. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's played the main or or at least a big tournament has probably had uh, an experience like the one I'm about to describe where, you know, it's level one or two and you kind of get a read on someone that maybe they're loose, like you have some reason to think that they're loose. Maybe they've just played a few hands in a row or they showed up with one weird combo in a spot. But then you go on to play with them for three or four more levels in the day and it turns out they're actually kind of nitty and it was just card distribution early on. So without knowing anything about the cutoff, do we really want to play a four bet pot out of position 300 blinds deep when calling is a solid option? Also, I would say maybe not. That said, I mean, maybe ace five suited is like the best four bet bluff combo here. I'm actually not positive. I'd have to look it up. So, you know, I really think it could go either way. And I think erring on the less variance path is, is a solid option. Yeah, I think ace five suited, ace queen offsuit, they'll make it in some, but as you say, I I just low variance, play ABC. Call and uh, flop three of a kind. The flop comes down eight, five, five, two diamonds. One heart, I think it was. I have ace five suited. I check and my opponent bets. He doesn't bet small either, if I recall correctly. He bets around about half pot. We're raising here immediately with a flush riot there, or, or are we just calling? I think I do find the raise here. I think he's just always going to call this check raise with like kings, queens, jacks, and then he's almost always going to call the turn if it's safe. So while by check raising, you do bust level one of the main event sometimes, <laughs> you know, when he when he like hits a two outer and makes a boat or when you're just mm-hmm. somehow beat here if he has pocket eights or whatever. Or, you know, if he hits a flush draw that, that he somehow has. I think there's just so much value to be had that that I would be putting in the check raise. That said, of course, check calling has a lot of merit too, you know. It really does suck to check raise and have the turn come a diamond or especially like the queen of diamonds or the jack of diamonds or something where his overpairs, you know, connect a little bit and make a boat as well. So I know you do check call, so I can't blame you for doing that. But I feel like this is one that we really just want to put in the race quite frequently. I think you're being very, very nice to me here. I think this is a very, very clear check raise. And uh, as you alluded, nobody wants to bust on day one of the main event or lose a big chip stack. I played my hand. A little conservatively here, way too conservatively in hindsight. I think we should bust out the check raise, make it something like 10.8, 11k, something like that. He's not holding an overpair. He's not holding a flush draw. He's not, as well as that, given my read, he's not the kind of guy that's just going to barrel off with ace-king here. So it's not like, you know, we lose a potential barrel on the turn from our opponent. I think a very, very clear raise on the turn. To that point, you kind of alluded he, he may not be the guy who's going to be barreling like ace-king and the bluffs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people won't barrel the overpairs too like they'll be kind of pot controlly with the overpairs more than they should be although it would be correct to do so in this case because you have trip fives 
But, you know, I could totally see a lot of non-pros in the main event. You know, they even when they get a safe turn, they're just checking back with yeah. jacks through aces here some of the time. Mm-hmm. So if you're not even going to catch bets from the top of their range on the turn and river, I think we got to just start pumping the pot now ourselves. I think you're absolutely right. And even more so, you know, when the flush completes on the turn, they're going to, you know, check back a lot of their pairs, which is exactly what happened. The turn rolls off the 10 of diamonds. I, of course, check. My opponent checks back. And the river is another 10. So we make a bit of a weird full house bottom boat here. 8, 5, 5, 10, 10. What's your player here on the river? Are you betting big, betting small, check raising? What do you think? Yeah, this is an interesting spot. I don't go for check raise because I don't really see us catching too many bets on the river here from both bluffs and value hands i think they might check back again with an overpair i think they may not go for it with a bluff they may not even have that many bluff combos to to go with here like a jack nine suited or whatever i I think a lot of non-pros early in the main event squeezing preflop just don't even have those hands ever or at least very rarely so i think check race is kind of out so then it comes down to betting and what size do we want to go for it's a weird one right because Everything kind of got there from the flop. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't really have too many intuitive bluffs. Like, I guess you can have maybe 6-7 suited, right? Like, specifically, like 6-7 of hearts. So you had an open-ender on the flop, and now you have nothing. So, you know, that's the three combos of potential bluffs right there. Maybe we have, like, an ace of diamonds hand, like an ace of diamonds king. That we, we, yeah, maybe that we decided not to four-bet preflop. Man, it's tough. If it wasn't a diamond on the turn, I think I would be betting very big here because mm-hmm. we have a lot of missed flush draws and I would be just like near potting it in theory, maybe sizing down a little in practice to try to induce some more calls in the main event. But mm-hmm. in this spot, I think I'm going for kind of a middling size just to get that crying call from over pairs and, and make sure they don't fold it. Maybe go like two thirds. Yeah. So my thought process here was, you know, it's very unlikely my opponent bluffs. If he's not going to bluff the turn, it's very unlikely he's going to just bluff a hand like King, Queen of Spades on the river, for example. And I feel like my opponent's range is very inelastic. And what I mean by that is that anything that we'll call one third is going to call 70%. People are not calling with ace high in the main event on the double paired, double flush board. So I'm targeting the over pairs, maybe the pocket nines. Those are the types of hands. And I feel like they're going to call one third. And they're going to call 70% as well. He's just going to shut his eyes and call with, you know, two black kings, for example. So I went with the 70% size. I don't think betting one third makes much sense. I don't think checking makes much sense. Very similar to what Mike said on the turn. You know, if he's checking back a hand like aces, kings, queens, jacks on the turn, it's certainly possible, you know, the flush is there. The the board is double paired. It's level one of the main event. A a non-pro might check back uh, with an overpair on the river, which would be disastrous for us. So I think betting is by far the best option. And as mentioned, one third doesn't really make much sense. But at the same time, you don't want to bomb it. I think that 70% size is really nice. I bet 70% and he folded relatively quickly. So it does look like he had a hand like ace, king, king, queen, something like that. No harm done. Yeah, it makes Uh, sense. One other option I want to present on the river is maybe going for like one tenth pot. Maybe that's a thing. Because I could see some hands in our range wanting to do that. Let's say like pocket nines would really like to bet one tenth pot to kind of yeah. prevent facing a bigger bet and maybe get that crying call out of an ace. So if you are going to set up a range where you're betting big with some hands and like a tenth pot specifically with others, like that really, really small block, mm-hmm. maybe it would make sense to have the ace five in that small block size. Not sure, but I think not having that strategy is probably fine too. Yeah, I think versus a pro, I'd be much more inclined to knocking the the 10% bet but versus a non-pro I, I i think just 70% try and get that call from you know the queens or the kings or the aces but what, no harm done he he folded very quickly yeah real quick to flesh that out because i know 
a question on our listeners' mind right now is why would you be more likely to make that play against a pro? Because a pro is going to play correctly versus that. So when we bet, you know, 10% or 20% versus a pro, they're going to have some bluff raises, for example. They're going to have some value raises. A lot of the times you're not missing value versus a pro. Whereas if you bet, you know, 20% versus an amateur and they snap call with an like aces or kings, you're missing a ton of value there when they're just always going to call the 70% bet. So pros are going to play correctly versus the very small bets and non-pros not so much. It is a fantastic weapon to have in your arsenal versus amateur players, but I feel like not necessarily in this spot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, on to your second hand. Let's hear it. So I ended up bagging 186k in day one. Really very smooth day. You know, no all-ins, no crazy hands, just chipped up very nicely versus amateurs all day. Three very soft tables overall. On to day two, uh, and again, continue with the plain sailing. Very interesting hand to start us off here on day two. So I'm in the hijack. I've got red jack-10 offsuit. We're in level six, which I think is... 400 800 that's right so very very deep stack myself player in hijack is not as deep he's one of the shorter stacks at the table what i like to call a true recreational a true non-pro because a lot of non-pros these days have got a very good idea of what they're doing they're almost semi-pros themselves but this guy is a pure non-pro and i mean that in the nicest way possible i'm not saying anything derogatory about him it's you know he's just not poker is his side hobby and he's not spending time looking at solvers that's that's what you're trying to say He's not looking at the level up podcast. That's that's exactly exactly right. So I open the the red jack ten offsuit and he calls in the big blind and the flop comes down. Queen nine deuce with two spades. My jack ten offsuit is red and he snap leads six k into forty eight hundreds. All the while looking me dead in the eye, like a little uncomfortably intensely staring at me. Now, it's really important to note his stack size here. He starts the hand relatively short, and after he leads the flop for 6k, he's only got about 20k behind. So my, my question to you is, on the one hand, we're in position with an open-ended straight draw, but on the other hand, this is a huge bet, and we can expect another shell on the turn. What's your play? I, I, I don't think raising is optimal here. I don't think we have much fold equity. Can we just go ahead and, and silently fold and never tell anyone? Or you know, what do we what do we do here? Well, but before I answer that question directly, I do want to note, so last hand, we were talking about how that recreational player staring you down often is a sign of weakness or is potentially a sign of weakness. I will say, just putting myself into the perspective of this opponent, which is something I highly recommend all of our listeners do when playing against recreational players, try to kind of get into their mindset a little bit and think about what they might be feeling. It could help you kind of sway some close decisions one way or the other. This is day two of the main event. It's probably a big tournament for him, a big spot. He came into the day with not that many chips. And now early on, he's in a situation that very likely is going to put his tournament life at risk, right? So I think his staring you down here, not necessarily a sign of weakness. I think it could definitely also just be a sign of like, this is it. Like, this is going to be my all in in the main. Let's see what this Scottish pro is going to do right now. Let's see if he's going to put me to the test for my tournament life here. I think he's going to be very intent in this pot. So I don't necessarily think this is weakness. I definitely think this could just be a hand like a queen that is always calling off versus shove. So now to answer your question directly, I don't think I'm folding here, especially with that read. Like I think we'll often stack him if we hit. And if we often stack him, I think it becomes like a slightly winning call. And then, you know, once in a while, I guess we will get a chance to profitably bluff on a future street. Although 
those two things kind of count contradict a little bit, right? Yeah. Like I think we're going to stack him if we hit and I think we'll be able to bluff him if we don't. So it's, <laughs> I could definitely see like your point of like maybe silently folding and just kind of moving on. It's probably mm. fine actually. Like I, I can't imagine this call being terribly profitable, but I also can't imagine it being really bad. I feel like it's close and yeah. honestly, your poker career is probably not going to be maked or braked by how you play a spot like this, right? Because it's just, it's just really close and it's, yeah. and it's kind of a rare spot. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think maybe just fold, given the fact, you know, if he has a flush draw, we only have six clean outs now as opposed to eight. Um, You know, it's a big bet. We're not going to win that much more money if we get there. On the other hand, we are in position. So you say he's taking a random stab with a hand like King 10, and then the turn comes the four and he checks. I can just put them all in and, you know, make him fold a hand like that. So there's pros and cons. I think it is very, very close. I think it doesn't really matter what you do here. Any bigger, I'm certainly folding. Any smaller, I'm certainly calling. We do make the call. The turn is just the most glorious red king you've ever seen in your life. And he instantly bets 14k into 16k with about 6k behind. How long do you take before you put this sweet old man all in for his last 6k? Probably only 10 seconds or so. Yeah. I think I give him the like, am I going with this one? Hmm. Okay, I am. And then all in. That, that's probably roughly the time I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, I thought he's just never folding in a million years. I took about five seconds and put the rest in. And he snap folded. He snap folded for 6k more. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> we had a very fun moment about 30 minutes later when he told me that he had two pairs. <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. He might have been priced into call, like with four outs. Like it's close I mean, at least. Yeah. I mean, there's no way he ever had two pairs in a million. Like he snap bet the turn. I snap all in. He snap folds. He looks very embarrassed. And Larry had to, he tried to tell me he had two pairs. And I had to sit there and be like, Wow, okay, yeah, I could like I just I felt really bad for the guy, but uh, clearly bluffing his ass off. Didn't expect the fold, so I just instantly put them all in and he uh, snap folded. Yeah, amazing. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So day two kind of up and down, but only within, you know, 40k or so. I started the day with 180. I was 220, 170, 220, 180, 210, and so on. And, and, so and just and just for a little context for the listeners, on day two, 180k in the main event is gonna be well above average. Like average going into day two. It's gonna be about a hundred or ninety k or so, right? Or maybe yeah. even a little less, like more, more like yeah. eighty. So even late day two, yeah. I would say average is gonna be about one twenty, one thirty. So the swings Gary's talking about, he's swinging between like a double average stack and like a little more than average stack. So he's got absolute piles here and well over a hundred big blinds as well. So. Yeah, it, while it is a bit of a roller coaster day, he's kind of on a roller coaster at the top of the roller coaster, yeah, going up and down. So. No big swings downward. Absolutely, 180k is like 18 bigs more. It's like 20 bigs when you're in the money, so it's it's absolute piles in the right. of day too. Okay, moving on now. Still in day two, level nine. The big blind is 1500. I've got like 200k to start the hands. Don't think I played this one brilliantly, but you guys can be the judge of that. So I open under the gun plus one with eight seven suited to 3k i've got a relatively soft table not very much three betting going on at all lots of not great players in the blind shall we say that i want to play with so i think the raise is fine and then the guy next to act a very tight player he then puts in the three bet he makes it 8500 to go he's got like 120k at this point 
And then the cutoff, who is an American pro, he called calls off of about 90k. He had played really ABC, pretty solid stuff up until this point. I don't think a cold calling range here is a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. It's a little unorthodox, but I'm certainly not saying it's bad. Uh, It falls back around to me. Mike, pretty clear appeal here with the really good price that we're getting. Very undominated hands. Yeah. Uh, Pretty mandatory. From what I've seen in, you know, optimal preflop ranges in general, whenever you have these potentially mixed frequency opens with like low pocket pairs or suited connectors, there'll be relatively low frequency raises from early position, even in tournaments a lot of the time. But when they do raise, they always call the three bet. Now that would be heads up. We're going three ways here with that cold caller. But as you said, we're getting a good price and our hand really doesn't share cards with the hands that these two guys are going to have most of the time. You know, pocket eights, pocket sevens, not going to be in their range too much. Eight, nine suited, not going to be in their range too much. You're often going to be up against high cards and high pairs. So eight, seven suited, you're going to be playing the middles while they're playing the highs, let's say. So I say we peel the 5,500 and play for this 30k pot post-flop. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. As you say, a very undominated hand. You know, our two pairs are very clean. All those middling boards are great for us. Flop comes down, queen, nine, four, two spades. We have... 8-7 8-7 of spades, so we've got the flush draw and a backdoor straight draw, which is obviously quite important to mention. I check MP, I think, is going to play this spot very, very face-up, very ABC. He looks quite devastated as he checks, very clearly putting him on ace-king here. And the cutoff is cool. Call the three-bet bets, 9k, so a little under one-third pot. Folds back round to me. I think we can really define the cutoffs range to, you know, jacks and tens. I don't think raising here is going to be great because, uh, you know, there's a flush draw out there. I'd much rather raise with a hand like ace five of spades just in case he's got a hand like king jack suited or something like that. So I don't think check raising with eight high flush draws here is optimal. I decide to just call, kind of try and realize my equity as cheaply as possible. Would you agree with that? You happy with the check call? Yeah, I think call is kind of the clearly good play here, and then maybe raising is like a savvy main event play, just try to make him fold something by the river because people kind of play so tight in the main event. I know a lot of people take that approach in the main where they kind of just constantly put people to the test. I don't think this would be a totally unreasonable spot to do it, but your hand selection reasons are, are clearly good. You know, you don't want to be putting in a lot of money. Should he have a better flush draw, you know, once in a while you will be up against queens or nines here. So you're yeah. always going to, you know, double this guy up if you run it and he has one of those two hands. And, you know, if he has jacks or tens, there's actually a pretty good chance you're going to be able to get him off it in another way. Like maybe the turn goes check, check and you bomb the river. Maybe you can get him off it like that. You know, th- there's still avenues to win the pot even versus those hands you'd be targeting with a flop check raise. So I think calling, you know, he bet like a third pot. Let's just realize our equity, see the turn. Yeah, okay. I go ahead and make the call. The turn is an offsuit king, feeling very bad for the guy who clearly had ace-king now. I check, and my opponent checks back. The river is an offsuit five. I decided to check in-game, but I think this is a big mistake. My reason for checking was that it was kind of a bit of metagame, like his range is jacks and tens basically always. And I know that, and he probably knows that I know that, combined with the flush draw missing, I decided that if I bet the river, he's probably just going to make a quick call, considering he blocks Jack-10 suited himself. I really don't love this check in hindsight. I think the correct play here is to shove almost 2x pot, because it just gets through every single time. He has virtually no traps on the turn. He's never checking on like queens or nines, or if he's got Jack-10 suited himself. 
and he's never calling it off with third pair. So I think in hindsight, if I just thought about the spot a little more, yes, his range is very face up, and I know that, and he knows that I know that, and the flush draw missed, but the cold hard truth is he's just not calling a 2x pot jam with third pair here. It's just not happening on day two of the main event. Exactly. Like, if this was a different tournament, I might think maybe if you find this jam, he will, like, logic it out and be like, you know what? I think he might be bluffing here, and I have a good candidate to call. I'm going to call, right? But this is the main event. Most of the time, people don't stick to their guns in spots like that. And it's one of those funny things. Like, if I was value betting here, I would not shove because yeah. I really don't think he's going to call. Super exploitable. But, like, if, if I had, you know, say, King Jack of Spades here, so I, I river that king and I want to eke out a little bit of value, I'm definitely blocking. Like, I'm going, like, you know, a fourth pot or, or like, maybe half pot at the most to try to get that crying call. But then when I am bluffing, I'm, I'm probably just going to jam. I might jam with, like, specifically the nuts, too, like, if I do have Jack-10. But yeah, I just don't think he's going to call when you jam here. So I, I think you you missed out on this 48k pot. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And one thing you say about, you know, using exploitative bet sizes, we're going to come to that in another hand, which I just echo exactly what you've just said there. Okay, moving on now to day three, I have bagged about 230k, slightly more than what I came into the day with, which obviously very happy, just chipping up ever so slightly. This hand is a very fun one on level 12 of the main event. Uh, so MP opens, very nice guy, came up to me at the end and told me that we had a lot of fun playing with each other. He's a professional. He opens an MP. I am in the cutoff with Queen 10 of Diamonds. I am mainly three betting this hand because it's really nice. You fold out hands like Queen Jack offsuit, King Queen offsuit, Ace 10 offsuit, lots of dominated hands that you can make fold. But I think calling sometimes is fine. You know, the big blind has to come in with hands that you very heavily dominate. So there's kind of pros and cons to flatting it and, and three betting it. So the big blind comes along as well, a very nice Italian player. We go three ways to the flop and it is Queen, Queen, Deuce, Rainbow. So flopping three of a kind. Uh, MP is going to C-bet here into two people. He bets 5,500 into 20,000. I don't think my hand wants to raise very often at all. If we do want to have a raising range here, we can use hands like Ace, Queen and Pocket Deuces. Queen 10, as mentioned, sometimes dominated pre-flop, so I decide to just call. And then the big blind busts out the check raise. He makes it 20k, so it goes 5,500. Call, the big blind makes it 20k. MP calls, and I call very standard so far, Mike. Happy with everything so far? Yeah, I think I play it the same with, you know, the 10 kicker. I don't think I'm doing really much raising in position here, and we kind of want the big blind to, like, come along with some sort of hand, like a pocket pair or, or ace high. Then again, getting him to fold a pocket pair and those two sneaky outs to make a boat that beats us isn't bad either. That said, I think just calling, kind of keeping the middle position raisers range a little wider, keep some of his bluffs in, which, you know, he's quite likely to have a bluff given that you have one of the queens. So, yeah, I think I just call, kind of see what happens. Um, And then once the big blind raises, I'm honestly not even that happy about the hand, like, at this Mm -hmm. point. I'm not certainly not folding, but I already think that there's a solid chance we're beat, so, you know... Just proceeding with caution, but calling for sure. Yeah, so when the big blind raised, I was kind of loving life because the big blind's got hands like, you know, queen six, queen seven, queen eight, queen nine of the suited variety, of course. But then when it goes raise, call, kind of not loving it because obviously the early position player has, has got a lot of ace, queen, king, queen, those types of hands. We can still be beating, you know, the big blind range, a lot of queen x that we dominate, random bluffs, and obviously... MP can have hands like aces and kings and jacks and stuff like that. So we can still certainly be ahead. This is where it gets very interesting. The turn is an offsuit four. Full rainbow board now, and it checks to me. What's your play, Mike? 
Yeah, I think there's only two options that I'd consider here, which is either check back um, and kind of play a river, see what happens, or bet very small um, and kind of try to eke out some value from hands like aces and kings, um, eke out some value from like a worse queen. Then again, I'm pro- if I do that, I'm probably checking the river should I get called. And if it goes check around on the turn and then checks to me again on the river, I get to kind of put in a bit bigger of a bet because I'm more confident that I have the best hand. And I think I will get bluff caught by aces and kings, a weaker queen, a good amount of the time. Because I think after this action on the flop, like hand like aces or kings from MP or a hand like queen five suited from the big blind, they're all kind of a little nervous and not super thrilled to put in a lot more money three ways. So they very well might check around again on the turn and then check to you on the river. And then you could go for like kind of a chunky bet on the river, like say like half or two thirds pot, a little chunkier than we would get to bet on the turn. So I think we get more value when we're good by checking the turn and just betting the river. And I also think we are just beat here sometimes and I'm not that thrilled to put in another bet on the turn. So I think I lean towards checking, but I think betting small, like 20% pot, 30% pot seems pretty reasonable too. Yeah, I think there's merits to both. When it checks to me, I kind of feel like we do have the best hand. Not always, but certainly not never. So maybe mm-hmm. that sort of small bet to to get the value from. But then again, you know, it's gone raise, call, call, or aces or kings putting any more money in the pot. The answer is probably not. So with that, if MP is just going to check fold with a hand like aces or kings, because I have no bluffs in this spot. I mean, my betting range is queen, queen X and above. So I, I actually think checking is the best option because MP is just going to fold hands like aces and kings and jacks. The river is an offsuit six, so it runs like queen, queen, deuce, four, six. And the big blind bets 50k into 90k off of about a 100k stack. MP has got us both covered, so big blind bets out 50k. MP calls. What are you doing? It's a horrible spot now, surely. Yeah. Oh, man. This is just brutal. It's one of those spots that I would be like, I can't believe I'm in the spot in the main right now. You know, like, uh, I think we can find a fold. We're getting a pretty good price, you know, where we basically need to be good here ballpark 20% of the time. I don't think we are, though. I I think the big blind's going to have a better queen sometimes and occasionally a full house. I think a better queen is like a little bit more likely. Especially because I don't think people find the squeezes preflop with like ace queen off as much or even suited as much as they should. So this guy's going to have more ace queen than, you know, the computer would, for example. And then when MP calls, I don't know if he's getting sticky with you behind with like aces and kings. Like I'm almost I'm pretty worried about him, too. So unless you're up against like, like, it's almost hard to even think how you could be good. Like the big blind would have to have like queen seven and be finding kind of a weird bet. And then MP would have to be calling with like aces, which yeah. both of those things I think are somewhat dubious propositions. And then needing both of them to be true <laughs> makes it, I think, go into a fold. If the big blind had bet and then MP had folded, I think we mm-hmm. can flick in the call. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, although I'm still not like fist pumping, that's for sure. But but I think I'm Size flicking snap. in the call. Yeah. But yeah, as, as it played out, I mean, we kind of got lucky here. I, I think we might have lost the minimum uh, i don't although yeah. you could tell us the results we were in uh so i took 90 seconds sort of milked it for all the attention i could get sort of flashed my cars to my the guy to my right as i was folding and i was in precisely last place middle position had pocket deuces and the big blind had queen jack offsuit i was really quite surprised i thought we'd be beating 
The big blind, I expected him to have a hand like, you know, queen seven suited, queen eight suited quite a lot here. But alas, we were in precisely last place and we kind of lost the minimum. It's it's such a frustrating hand in the main event because obviously, you know, you flop trips and you're against two players. You expect to win a nice pot, but very disciplined fold. I'm quite happy with the way I played that one. Some of the hands we've spoken about so far, I'm not loving the way I played, but uh, really happy with the way I played that one. Leads us on to our final hand of day three. This is level 14. We're 1,500 paid. We're about 1,800 left at this point. So everyone is mindful of the money. It's not the bubble per se, but everyone is keeping an eye on the clock. The 20 big blind stacks are now getting on people's nerves by taking 40 seconds to fold and so on and so forth. So this is you know really close to the money. And the button, American player, professional, I would assume, played with him for a couple of hours, nothing extraordinary happening in that time he opens the button to 12k at 5k big blind off of about 115k so he's only got you know 25 ish bigs to start the hand we'll say i'm in the big blind i defend jack eight offsuit flop comes down jack eight seven rainbow and he bets 15k into 32k i would normally expect you know 25 bigs unless we'd expect some smaller bet sizes to go in on virtually every texture so a little surprised to see the half pot C bet here. Uh, but on the other hand, we've got top two. Uh, what's your play here, Mike? Yeah, so w- before I answer, so you said he, he started the hand with about 23-ish bigs. Uh, how much do you, you... By how much, though? I'm kind of curious, because that actually, I think, matters quite a bit. Of course, absolutely. So I think at this point, I've got about 250k. So yes. So you've got like 50 bigs, and as far as the kind of bubble dynamic here, you could run a bluff on him be unsuccessful and still have quite a good stack that's quite likely to make the money or has a good chance at making the money now that's the reason i asked for for those listening like if gary covered by only a little bit here Mm -hmm. i'm much less likely to raise as gary because i think there is the potential for a raise here to look like with gary's stack it's near the bubble of the main event this guy's got only 23 bigs i'm gonna put some pressure on him with the array of gut shots in my range. There's so many 9x hands in your range, 10x hands in your range. A bunch of them have a backdoor flush draw. So you could potentially bluff with all of those. And if he has basically any piece of this board or an overpair or whatever, he's you know going to be pretty likely to get sticky and think you could be bluffing with that 250k stack you have. Whereas if you had, say, 150k stack, so that's barely covering him, would you really take it to the streets with a hand like you know 10-5 backdoor flush draw? you're going to be less likely to do so for sure. Because if you're unsuccessful, you're going to be down to crumbs and your work is going to be cut out for you to make the money. So that matters quite a bit. All of that said, with his sizing, I think I lean towards just calling. I think he's going to do some betting on the turn when he goes for this bigger size. Uh, If you get like a blank turn, I Mm -hmm. I think he's going to find like a good amount of barrels, Mm -hmm. I would think. And then additionally, we just block a lot of the hands that he's going to continue with. You know, jacks and eights, we kind of want him to have those. We want him to have ace eight. We want him to have king jack, ace jack. So I think I lean towards calling. It's funny, if I had like ace jack here, although I might have just shoved that preflop, if I had ace jack here, I think I'm raising yeah. more more often, um, mm-hmm. weirdly. And that, that might actually be wrong. I'd, I'd have to look up the spot. So so don't, no one take me at my word on that being correct. But I think that's just what my intuition says is right. But yeah, I, I think I think call is fine. But for the reasons I said, I think raising is okay because I think there's a good chance he's going to get somewhat sticky here, given the sort of dynamic where you might be bluffing mm-hmm. somewhat near the bubble. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, I decided to just call 
the turn is the dreamiest turn of all time. It's another Jack. We turn the nuts, essentially. I check, and he decides to check back. Now, there's 62k in the pot, and he has 95k-ish at this point, and we're about 250 away from making the money. I decided to use, as Mike suggested earlier, you can play lots of really lovely exploitative sizes in the main event and kind of just push people around. So I decided against jamming. You know, 95k was his stack size. So a jam, in theory, is certainly reasonable. It's not a huge overbet. It's 1.5x pot. But if we jam, he is much more likely to fold hands like pocket nines, pocket aces, ace eight, all those types of hero calls that he could normally make. People are much more inclined to fold those. So I decided that I was going to shove all my bluffs, all my king nines, my 10-5 suiteds, all those types of hands, my 6-5 suiteds, etc., and make him fold those over pairs, etc. But I chose a very exploitative 73k into a pot of 62k, which means if he calls, he's still got some big blinds to work with, and he's much more likely to call as opposed to me jamming. What do you think about my size, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I I can't fault you for it. That said, against a regular, in such a clear ICM pressure spot with the bubble, I think it's too obvious, potentially. And I would be nervous about making this exploitative split and going bigger with the bluffs and smaller with the value. Now, that said, it's not like you went small. You still mm-hmm. overbet. So yeah. for all he knows, this is your size here, and this is also what you'd bluff for. Now, I would be tempted to still just shove, okay. because I think a regular is going to recognize that, you know, should he call and lose, he's going to have four blinds. Really, he's going to be on the ropes, especially with the big blind any structure like I guess he's on the button, so he's going to have five or six hands, but in six hands or so, he's going to have to put in half his stack in the big blind, right? Should he call and lose against the 73k bet? So I don't think that extra four blinds is going to have that much like perceived value compared to that situation earlier against a recreational yeah. player early on, still has plenty of blinds. Yeah, I think in this one, I'm just going to play the size that I think is sort of right. And okay. if you think it's shove, I would just shove with the bluffs and the value against a regular. Against a recreational player, totally different story. I would be on the same page as you. Mm-hmm. But I think it just starts to get a little dicey doing that against potentially good regulars. We know this guy's a regular. We don't know quite how good he is. But that, that's one thing I always think about. You know, I've made some minor main event runs, but never like the super deep ones where all of a sudden there's like half the field is super, super good crushers or whatever. But I always think, man... It's interesting the dichotomy of this tournament where early on we're doing all this exploitative stuff and we're making big folds and we're making really exploitative bet sizing schemes and all of that like we've been talking about. But then later in the tournament, you end up playing for piles of money against some of the best players in the world. And then all of a sudden we kind of go to solver land and I'm going to try to play really good theoretical poker. Of course, I'm going to still, you know, use my intuition and make some exploitative plays when available. But if I'm staring down a great player... You know, if Nick Petrangelo is at my table, I'm not trying to pull off this exploitative scheme against him, right? If I think shove is the right size, I'm shoving with my value and the appropriate number of bluffs. So when I get to like this point in the tournament and I'm up against a reg, I start to make that adjustment and I stop finding those exploitative moves as much, at least against the, the regulars, like I said. I think that's very fair. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think maybe you just shove because a reg might pick up on that you know you're using this exploitative size to try and get called and he's trying to leave me with four bigs if i call etc so i think you're absolutely right i think maybe shove in hindsight is the best what do you think about taking a little off it if we do want to use an exploitative size what do you think about leaving him with 
say seven or eight big blinds which of course makes a massive difference compared to three or four big blinds yeah or do you I, think just still shove i think like the kind of for me the the inflection point here is pot like i think just potting it is quite mm -hmm. good because it does okay. leave him with like six blinds six seven blinds mm -hmm. and then it's also like a size that i don't think he can read into like i don't think he'll be yeah. able to go oh he went quote unquote smaller he only went pot he didn't go all in so he might be exploitatively valuing me. I don't think he can really go down that logic path as much because mm -hmm. for all he knows, your size there might just be pot. Like that just might yeah. be how you play it. And you don't yeah. have that 1.5x overbet pot. But by overbetting 73 into 62k, to my mind, if I was up against you, I might think, okay, this guy's capable of overbetting, but he didn't jam all in in a spot that like, if you're going to overbet, clearly jam is on the table. I like wouldn't be able to read into a pot bet quite as much, but against this bet, I maybe would read into it. And that's what I would be worried about, that he might read into this with like a bluff catcher such as nines and make the fold. I don't think we can go wrong against aces. I think specifically like the aces kings, I don't think a regular is going to fold those. I don't think most regulars care enough about a min cash in the main to fold yeah. like so high in their range here. You know, if it's a low stakes regular who satellited in, different story, but you know, I'm just going to assume he's he's like a somewhat stronger regular who's not going to put so much credence, you know, locking up one and a half buy-ins for the cash. For sure. So yeah, that that's kind of where all my analysis is coming from. Yeah, I think that's completely reasonable. I think maybe pot is the way to go. Um, I bet 73k into 62k. He made a very, very painful call and unfortunately for him exited the tournament uh, about 30 minutes later. Um, but yeah, very nice turn for me there. Very nice to pick that one up. So we uh, bag up at the end of day three, 10 players away from the money. They decided to bag us up, which I was very bemused by. But I guess it makes sense. It's the very end of the day. Two-hour bubble is not appealable at the end of a 10-hour you know, day. Into day four, the money bubble bursts relatively quickly. I've got a pretty soft table. Looking to put in work, make the money with 235k, which is about 23.5 big blinds. And then we play this very, very interesting hand, Mike. A million different ways that we can play this one. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. So we're about 35 bigs effective here. The hijack, again, American pro. I'm not sure if he's a pro. I would perceive him to be a pro. Unknown. Uh, he opens to 18k at 8k big blinds. I'm in the small blind with King Jack of Diamonds. 35 bigs effective. Decided to flat. I think we either shove or call here. I don't think three betting non all in makes much sense decided to call the big blind calls as well very friendly young-ish pro uh, very chatty american guy flock comes down eight seven five two diamonds do you think we get to lead here mike um in theory i think we probably do now that said i haven't studied the lead too much so mm -hmm. I wouldn't be super confident to do it unless I had like an exploitative reason on top of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm checking, but I would be kind of surprised actually if we looked up this spot and there's no leads from the small blind or or like this hand in particular, I, f I feel like we'll want to put in some leads. So I thought about it for 30 seconds or so. And the reason I didn't lead is our obviously our calling range in the small blind is really quite condensed into hands that connect well with the board, pocket sevens, pocket eights, pocket nines. 10-9 suited, um, all those types of ants, you know, King Jack of Diamonds. But the big blind is in there, and the big blind has got all the flop straights, he's got all the two pairs, etc. So his range is a little, he has more of a much more of a nut advantage, which sort of deterred me from leading. So I decided to check. And lo and behold, the big blind does decide to lead. He bets 20k into 62k. 
hijack folds, I decide to just call. More inclined to check raise with a combo draw like King Nine of Diamonds if we had it, or a hand like Ace Nine of Diamonds, Ace Six of Diamonds, or a hand like Ace Five of Diamonds with a pair and a flush draw. But King Jack of Diamonds, I decided to just call. It really sucks if we end up getting it in here versus a hand like Ace Three of Diamonds, for example. So I decided to go with either my combo draws or my nut flush draws. So check call. The turn is the Jack of Spades. Two flush draws out there now. I decided to check and my opponent bets again for 65k. I have got 245k-ish behind at this point. 65 plus another 180 or so. Do you think we ever get to check jam this spot? No, I don't think so. I feel like like we have one of those hands that when we jam, our hand itself, the jack, is not going to be good when we get called. Almost Mm -hmm. ever. Once in a while, I guess he shows up with like a six of diamonds and like calls it off and, you know, you get it in against the hand that had you dominated that you've, you know, hit the pair on. So for the most part, when you shove and get called, I think he's going to have two pair plus and he's just going to fold a bunch of hands that you're either uh, beating or even have dominated like some lower flush draws potentially. So I think we just call play as if we only have a jack, like king jack, no flush draw in a way like that's how not that we get to this point with king jack, no flush draw, but kind of treat it like we do just call take a river kind of see what happens i'm not excited about the spot though because not a lot of great rivers for us and i Mm -hmm. don't know if we're like ever going to be able to just like check and call a river bet on almost any card i'm not really going to be too happy about it but to that point i'm really just not that excited putting chips in this pot right now so i I, i'm not excited to jam either yeah i I, again i thought about this for quite a while when my opponent bet the turn and if it was just the diamond flush draw i'd be much more inclined to just call but i was actually very tempted to check jam the turn because i love to deny equity from those random spades you know there's a turn flush right there so if he's got a hand like queen four of spades for example that might not fold um you know a hand like queen three of spades or you know something like that i really don't mind denying equity but i wasn't 100 percent sure and i didn't want to commit to a line that i wasn't sure would be theoretically correct so i decided to play it as you recommended i just called sort of play it like we've got king jack offsuit and just shut my eyes and call in all the brick rivers. The river is an offsuit six, so it runs out eight, seven, five, jack six. I check, and my opponent puts me in for my last 183k. I don't think we can ever call it off here. I think we've got a lot of better hands to call. Lots of, you know, pocket nines, lots of nine X in our range, ace nine of diamonds, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I decided to fold. For sure. I, I don't think we can call that off. And I mean, I don't know if the solver would bluff like you know, say like King 10 of diamonds in his spot. But even if it doesn't, which makes our hand like a good call if he doesn't bluff with the cards we have, I think in practice, if the big blind gets here with King 10 of diamonds, he's going to bluff it. So I actually don't want to have the King of diamonds. This is something that has thrown some people off, like how much the river blockers impact things when it comes to missed flush draws, where like it's kind of counterintuitive and we're going to get questions in the comments just if I mention this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oftentimes, you actually want to have the high miss flush draw when bluff catching on the river, like with a pair, because they're not supposed to be bluffing the missed flush draw. But then in practice, people do bluff the missed flush draw, so it becomes bad to have them again. So like in computer land, it's often good to actually block the missed flush draw that the computer opponent won't actually bluff with. But in practice, the the humans look down, see that the only way they can win the pot is by shoving, think they can represent something, so they go for it. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And a lot of us might follow up that initial question with, well, you know, he only has diamonds to bluff with. And that's strictly speaking not true. So if we really think about this spot, 
He gets the lead from the big blind because his range holds the nut advantage. He's got 9-6 suited and 6-4 suited that no other player has. So he's got lots of bluffs here that don't contain diamonds. You might think to yourself, well, he's only got diamonds, so surely he has to use those diamonds as bluffs. Queen-6 of hearts, 5-3 uh, of clubs, loads and loads of combos that he actually gets to choose from. Mike is absolutely right. You know, Generally, a lot of times you don't want to bluff the miss-flush draw, so please don't think that he only has a miss-flush draw to bluff with. He gets the lead really wide on the flop, and his range gets to choose a lot of bluffs from that as a result. Yeah, and just one other point to how, like, in practice is going to differ from the computer. So you were talking about how he has, you know, the 5-3 suited that flops bottom pair but leads anyway because he's like, has that nut advantage. Or the other hands that you listed that, that end up still being nothing or like a bluff on the river. That said, in practice, humans don't find those leads as much as the computer does. So mm-hmm. he's probably going to have fewer of those, you know one pair hands that you beat that he's going to bluff with on the river or total misses that you beat that he's going to bluff on the river just because he's a human he's not a computer he's not going to get to the river with them as often as you know the solver would i would normally agree with that but when he leads i sort of think that he is capable because he has leisure so i think a lot of people are just going to snap check with queen six of hearts they're going to snap check with their flop straights but when a player does find that lead maybe they are capable I just don't know. I wish I'd played with the guy a little longer. Interesting to know, uh, we have a mutual friend and he got in touch on Discord and told me that he had any guesses. I'm going to guess Queen Six of Hearts. Screw it. He had Jack Nine offsuit. He rivered me. Uh, Damn, and you would have won the pot too because he's checking that that back every time on the river if it's not the card that gives him the the winner. I would have won the pot and probably gone on to win the main event. But unfortunately for me, I lost with Ace Queen. uh, still in the first level of day four cash for 17.5k very very happy with that but yeah i had a lot of fun playing the main event you know yourself mike it's such a sick tournament everyone is having a great time there's lots of money to be made the ev is astronomical it's people who have never played it before it is softer than you think it is softer than your wildest dreams and that's it's beautiful in a way because you get to talk to so many amazing people in the journey yeah the vibes in the main event are incredible it's super fun to play it, it definitely make it a bucket list item if you're a serious poker player put in some good tournament study beforehand for sure so you're not just punting 10k but or you know maybe try to satellite in maybe sell some action at you know face value just to get in there because it really is a wonderful experience especially if you make day two three four five five it's exponentially crazier how it feels in the room that just like the energy and like the the tension in the room is just so so intense it's phenomenal and you know speaking of studying up for the main event There is a module in the Upswing Lab that I highly recommend checking out if you want to prepare for a big tournament. It's called, appropriately, How to Win the WSOP Main Event. It's a two-part module made by the winner of the 2020 WSOP Main Event online. His name is Stoyan Medanchev. He made this two-part module special for us. It's the only place that he shared the footage of his win. He basically analyzes every hand he played from about 250 players left in the online main event all the way until the last hand of the final table where he wins it heads up for $4 million and the main event bracelet. It's a phenomenal module, super entertaining, and Stoyan has a lot of really, really useful insights. You're going to learn a lot from watching it. You're going to pick up a lot of really valuable nuggets throughout the content, but it's also really fun to watch because you're watching this guy's progression from 250 players left in the tournament down to, you know, two tables, down to the final table, down to three-handed heads up, etc. You end up really, really rooting for him, even though you already know <laughs> he's going to win, and you're going to learn a lot from him too. So 
Go over to upswingpoker.com and join the Upswing Lab. You can either go under the training tab or click the green button between Doug Polk and Ryan Fee on the homepage of upswingpoker.com. And then use the coupon code LEVELUP. As a listener of this podcast, you get $50 off your first payment of the lab. And you can easily finish this module in one month. So if you just want to join for one month, use the Level Up coupon code. Check it out. You can always just do that. Easily finish it in one month, like I said. So head over to upswingpoker.com to check that out. And with all that said, we'll see you in the next pod.